live from the WLIWFM studio in Southampton, New York, on December 1st. 2022. I'm Gianna Volpe on Long Island's only local NPR radio station. Almost a year after the public hearing on the purchase of property at the gateway to Watermel, the town of Southampton has closed on the buy. Kitty Merrill reports on 27East.com that last month, the long-awaited $5.8 million purchase using community preservation fund revenues went through, and the broken-down fence that encased the acreage along Montauk Highway came down. So, too, did structures on the land fronting Mill Creek. At the time of the December 2021 public hearing on the plan, online real estate sites valued the almost six acres of land just west of Watermill's main drag nestled on the north side of Montauk Highway and bordered by Old Country Road at between $6.5 and $6.9 million. The acquisition comprises... Two parcels just east of the Settlers Field Triangle at the entrance to Watermills Business District. They're across Montauk Highway at the curve between Cobb Road and the Little Cobb Road merge. It was known as the Burden property after its former owners. The town has plans to create a public park there, an early concept map crafted for the Watermill Citizens Advisory Committee depicts a canoe slash kayak launch, walking trails and a recreation lawn, dubbing the site Settlers Field. Another suggested name is Mill Creek Park. Watermill Citizens Advisory Committee member Steve Abramson predicted that the park, replete with a stunning water view, could rival East Hampton Village's scenic entrance. Quote, the town's strategic purchase of this property completes the preservation of the entire quarter-mile south shore of uh, Mill Creek for what will become Mill Creek Park, presenting a grand scenic gateway to the East End. The adjacent waterfront land preserved earlier this year borders on Route 27 and will afford beautiful, wide-open vistas traveling east and west, Abramson said this week. Also in Watermill, a contemporary four-level house made up of glazed glass units with views of Meacox Bay is on the market for $43 million, the most expensive home listed for sale on Long Island, according to one key MLS. The annual property taxes are $44,546. Rachel Weiss reports on Newsday.com that the house on Cobb Isle Road was built in 2017 by Roger Ferris, who has also designed houses for director Steven Spielberg and Blackstone CEO Steven Schwartzman. Standout features include a four-car garage, rooftop terrace, pool cabana, and two docks. A glass bridge connects the two wings of the 9,700-square-foot house with an in-ground pool running beneath it. The property also contains a guest house on a separate lock. Uh, separate lot. Quote, the house is a work of art with another work of art inside. That's listing agent Enzo Morabito of Douglas Elliman. Quote, the way it's been decorated is outstanding. And quote, the current homeowners are art collectors, which explains the property's dramatic flourishes, including a brightly colored pop art themed bathroom. The views of Meacox Bay lead to the Atlantic Ocean. The property is zoned for the Southampton Union Free School District. It's the most beautiful home I've ever sold personally, Morbido said. It's one of a kind. In other news, the highest fare increase in a decade. Fewer cars on Long Island Railroad trains and reduced 
weekday LIRR service are among the measures the MTA is considering to shrink a projected annual deficit that could reach $3 billion. The Metropolitan Transportation Authority laid out its proposals at a Manhattan meeting of the transit agency's board yesterday. Alfonso A. Castillo reports on Newsday.com that among the recommendations made by MTA Chief Financial Officer uh, Kevin Willens is a 5.5% increase in fare and toll rates in 2023, the highest since the MTA raised fares by 7% in 2013. Since then, the agency has stuck to a schedule of raising fares and tolls by 4% every other year, but deferred a hike in 2021 and 2022, citing financial hardships among riders caused by the pandemic. MTA officials said Wednesday that they expect ridership levels to be around 80% of pre-COVID levels by 2026. Willen said raising fares by an extra 1.5 percentage points over the typical increase would generate an additional $50 million a year uh, next year. The MTA board will vote on the financial plan on the 21st of December, but it would not necessarily include a detailed fare plan and new ticket and toll prices. MTA Chairman Jano Lieber said the agency likely wouldn't hold legally required public hearings on its fare increases before next February. And finally, whether or not you missed last night's lighting of the big duck, Beth Young of East End Beacon reminds us that the annual windmill lighting at the Stony Brook Southampton College campus will be held tomorrow evening from 5 to 7 p.m., followed by a lecture on Wild Long Island by Chris Paparo in Duke Lecture Hall. All are welcome and admission is free. As reported on RiverheadLocal.com, you may help fill an entire school bus with non-perishable food items by donating at the Waiting River uh, Fire Department located at 1503 North Country Road in Waiting River. Now through New Year's Day, volunteers will accept donations at the fire department as well as outside several local businesses. People may also make monetary donations that will be used to purchase donations in bulk. The food will be donated to local pantries to support families in need after the holidays. Reading the weather here in Southampton this morning in honor of all of you who thought of WLIWFM this week on Giving Tuesday from the bottom of the heart of the East End. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Looking like a sunny Thursday with a high near 43 degrees, breezy with a west wind, 22 to 24 miles per hour tonight, mostly clear with a low around 26 West wind 13 to 18 miles per hour becoming light northwest after midnight. Right now it's 38 degrees and I have a great playlist. I don't know when I made it for you guys, but when I was listening to it on the way in, I was like, oh, this is gold. So we've got the Stones, the Birds, the Beatles, and Billie Eilish, but uh, coming at you in your immediate listening future. But that... uh Roll Call is a bit of a Christine McVie sandwich. I picked uh, two I Am or I'm tracks from her legendary Christine Perfect album of 1970. May you rest in love, Christine McVie. I'm Gianna Volpe, and you, whoever you are out there, you are awesome. And you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM.
Yeah. 
Waiting for Warren Nidich to join us for the Thoughtful Thursday segment, underwritten by Green Hill Kitchen, coming right at you in about five minutes. Between now and then, the birds on WLIWFM.
All right, full disclosure, I was hoping to uh, bleed seamlessly from the Beatles' I Am the Walrus into Billie Eilish's Therefore I Am, just because I heard it this morning, the transition was perfect, but it looks like it's going to get cut by the Thoughtful Thursday segment. That's just fine with me. A uh, little Beatles before we speak to Warren Nightich here on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM. See how they smile like 
Hold on, Christine. We've got all the time for you, and we can't wait to play I'm Too Far Gone to turn around from Christine McVie's legendary Christine Perfect album. I got my wish. I got to uh, bleed the Beatles into Billie Eilish. Uh, Loved it. Warren's not on the line, but we were able to get Chris Paparo. Uh, Good morning, Chris. How are you? Good morning. How are you? Did I do it right? Did I say your name right this time? You did. You got it. I did. 
You know what they say, <laughs> folks? They say 15th time's a charm. I am so grateful. It's always it's always so wonderful not only to talk to you, but to see your incredible work, the work that you take not only under the water, but above the water, every uh, part of our beautiful East End on, and all of the awesome creatures uh, swimming in it, swimming, uh, flying above. We're very lucky to have you. And we're also very oh, lucky you. you're going to be doing a free lecture tomorrow. We were just mentioning uh, the lighting at the Southampton College. Uh, tell us everything. What can folks expect to hear if they attend tomorrow night at uh, Stony Brook Southampton College? Yeah, so tomorrow's our lighting of the windmill. So uh, the windmill is a historic part of, the, of Southampton. And uh, tomorrow at 5, uh, festivities will begin. Uh, they're going to have uh, caroling, music. There's uh, activities for the kids. There'll be a bunch of really cool stuff, again, starting at 5. And then just around a little before 7, they're going to have a countdown, turn on the lights of the windmill to kick off the holiday season. And then immediately following that, I am going to give one of my newest lectures, Wild Long Island, uh, where I'm going to talk about all the really cool stuff that's in the air, land, and sea around Long Island. So I'm going to talk about everything from birds, snakes, deer, whales, cucumbers, uh, you name it, I'm going to cover it. Were you the one that shot that beautiful image of the humpback whale in front of uh, the Dune Church? Yes, that was me. That was a pretty, that was a pretty cool timing. You know, timing sometimes is everything. Right. Uh, but yeah, that was uh, one crazy morning. Just that whale was feeding along the beach, feeding along the beach, and just happened to feed right in front of the church, which I thought was pretty cool. Oh my gosh, that's a, it's like one of my favorite spots on the East End, and it was just, I mean, it, with photography, it's it's lighting, and and luck are two of your yeah. uh, best friends. Uh, can you can you talk a little bit more about this summer for you, uh, things that you witnessed, uh, you know, both good and bad? Yeah, I mean, for for Fish Guy Photos, that's my side my side gig. Uh, it was it was great. I mean, there was a there's a ton of whales, uh, a lot of sharks, right. <laughs> insanely large amount of number of sharks. I was a lot of press calls for the sharks this summer. Um, you know, it was, uh, it was just, it was exciting. It was a lot of jellyfish. I mean, it was a weird, weird season, you know, uh, as far as, uh, some of the, like I said, some of the cool stuff, like the whales, which are here, you know, every summer, but then we, you know, we had these exotic jellyfish that came in stinging people. And then later in the summer we had the, the, which are those little clear, uh, everyone thought they were jellyfish eggs, but it's this little tiny animal known as a tunicate that, you know, would, would would be all over the beaches. If you got in your hair, it was a hard time to get out. So it was. Um, I don't know yeah, anything about it was those. An interesting summer. I don't know anything about those. Can you tell me more about the tunicates? Yeah, so they're these little. I mean, they're maybe the size of a marble. They're roundish, ovalishing shape. Uh, they'll form long chains, and what what will happen is they live out in the Gulf Stream, so far offshore. And if you get the right conditions of wind and current, it'll push them in. And uh, some years, there's so many of them, it's like swimming through jelly. And um, they're not jellyfish, even though they look like jellyfish. They're, uh, they're, they're an animal known as tunicates, and they filter phytoplankton from the water. But what's really crazy about them is that they are actually more closely related to us than they are jellyfish. They're actually in the cordata phylum, which is uh, crazy to think that this little tiny jelly-looking thing is... is more closely related to us than it Cordata, is. Cordata, meaning, jellyfish. does it have a spinal cord? 
No, no, okay. it's, it's something in its early development, and I don't know all the exact details of it, but it's it does it's it's an er- earlier development type stage uh, that it has this little little you know it's not a bird it's not a vertebrate, but it's 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 closely related. To that, that would have yeah. that would have really freaked me out if you told me that there was a jellyfish out there with a spinal cord. Well, so that they were like I said, super thick. It was like swimming through Jello, and I know a lot of people, including myself, with long hair. Uh, it get caught in your hair, and it was a nightmare getting them out. But uh, you know, again, they come and go. They were they were quite abundant for a couple of weeks. What summer. ended up working for you as far as getting the tunicates out of your hair? Uh, patience, yeah, right. <laughs> right? A lot of patience, right. or or try to avoid going in the water when they were super thick. All right, so you uh, mentioned, but yeah, if you if you scroll back to some of my posts on Fish Guy Photos earlier this summer, you can see some underwater videos or videos where I had them in my. Where I had picked them up to tell you a little bit about them. You mentioned sharks. Do you work with SOFO in tagging sharks? Re- refresh my memory. I do. I am part of the South Fork Natural History Museum shark research team, and uh, we've had a busy couple years. I mean, this year especially, uh, our team tagged over 150 sharks this summer, which was uh, quite amazing. Uh, we've, you know, continuing our work that we've been doing the last couple of years trying to figure out how sharks use our area, like where they like to go, where they like to feed. Uh, then we also started doing some work with uh, Brad Peterson, Dr. Brad Peterson from Stony Brook University, uh, where we were acoustic, acoustic tagging sharks. So it was uh, to see mean? how they, again, move around our, our local waters. What is acoustic tagging? Uh, so acoustic ta- an acoustic tag is this little tiny tag. It's about the size of a big battery. Um, like a like a sea sized battery, and um, when we catch a shark or a fish, uh, Brittany Skinnell, the researcher, is doing this. She was fish as well, blackfish, sea bass, striped bass. Uh, but when we catch a fish, she makes a small incision in its belly. We pop the tag in. She stitches it up really fast. So if you ever get hurt on a boat, she's the one you want to stitch you up. Uh, a couple stitches, and the fish swims away. And what happens is this, these tags emit a little tiny beep beep. You can't hear Got like it. really with your barrier. But then she puts out receivers in the ocean. And then other researchers have the same receivers around the world. So as her fish swim near these receivers, it kind of records that the fish was there. Right. So one of the jobs that she's doing is uh, she's looking at how fish use the artificial reefs of Long Island. So the DEC has been putting out reefs in this one off Southampton. So she's got receivers there. And she takes a bunch of fish, but then she also listens for the tags of other researchers. So on her... Her receiver right here in Shinnecock, uh, she's picked up cobia, bluefin tuna, several species of sharks. She even picked up a 12-foot white shark that was here uh, last November or December. Uh, So it's really kind of cool that she's able to then listen for these fish to see who's on the reef and who's maybe not. What's the initial findings as far as interaction with the artificial reefs? Well, she's still in her preliminary work, so she doesn't have all the data there, but what's, what she is finding, she's amazed at how many species utilize the reef. Like, it's really, really an important area for wide-ranging of fish and, and inverts. She's even picked up tags of horseshoe crabs. So some researchers acoustic tag horseshoe crabs. So she's found them going by the reef as well. So she's really just been surprised at the diversity of stuff he's finding uh, there. So that should be a really interesting paper once uh, she's done with her, her research. What, are, what can people expect when they come to see you tomorrow night? What are you going to be talking about as part of Wild Long Island? So one of the things I like to focus on is just showing, showcasing the cool stuff that's here in Long Island. You know, everybody always thinks you have to go far away 
to see cool stuff. But in fact, just you just got to slow down and look around. Uh, so this talk is really a, a showcase of some of my favorite wildlife encounters, you know. And like I said, I start with the air. So some of the things I'll talk about, like bald eagles, hummingbirds, owls. Then I'll drop to the land, and we'll talk about box turtles, snakes, and deer. But I am the fish guy, so I'm, I'm drawn to the ocean. So I'm going to end with the ocean, and we'll talk about, you know, sea cucumbers, scallops, whales, dolphins, sharks. You know, we'll I'll kind of cover it all. Just you know, but to give it, give people an appreciation for what's here on Long Island. Speaking of um, scallops, we've got to mention how excited we are that there uh, were any uh, to be found this year. Yeah, this is another bust year for the scallops. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we are working hard here at Stony Brook trying to figure out what's going on. Um, you know, it's, it seems to definitely be a temperature uh, effect. So we're seeing record temper- ocean temperatures in the last couple of years. And uh, the scallops themselves are able to survive these high temperatures. But um, it's been a uh, – it usually coincides with when they spawn. So what ends up happening is they're they're stressed out from the high temperatures. They're spawning, which is a more stressful time for them, and they're usually not able to recoup or recover from that stress. And then the, the adults are dying before the harvest. But what's happening is the young are at least surviving. So like when I was diving this fall, I found a ba- bu- bunch bugs. of bugs, which right. are the baby scallops. Uh, and hopefully you know, they'll make it through the winter, and then they'll probably next season just like things going but we're hoping that maybe it's a little cooler that those adults can survive because you know scallops only live that year and a half so right. typically when the season opens in november they've all spawned so we go out we harvest them before they die and you know it's a it's a sustainable fishery that way but um again they're just not surviving to the season so you know it's, again, it's we are looking at that a lot here doing this experiments going on right now in southampton looking at different temperatures and seeing how the temperatures stress them out and, and trying to see if uh, we can get a better idea of what's going on. It's worrisome when you when you think about uh, temperature playing a large part because, well, maybe not. I, I, I don't really know what the fix would be uh, other than, you know, as a planet looking at stemming the tide of global warming. And we, know, yeah, we I all mean, know how big Climate change is, is, you know, it's affecting a lot of different things. And, um, you know, one thing that's hopeful with scallops, because they reproduce and only live for a short period of time, there is some thought that, you know, even natural selection, you know, because there are scallops, huh. scallops range much further south. So the thought, the thought is that maybe um, these scallops, you know, will eventually be able to like, all right, the, the ones that can survive the, the, the warmer water will we'll start have to, have to take a, over. Yeah, we'll have to have know? a conversation. Again, they're with not the... all dying, you know, because got... there was a little bit caught this season, but... So the idea is that maybe, you know, those ones have a little bit of natural resistance to those higher temperatures and maybe, you know, that will help us. You know, so there is some of that being looked at. I know there's some look into maybe selective breeding to, you know, again, try to find those. We'll have to, we'll have to talk to uh, so, Kim Tetro about it. Yeah, I mean, he, <laughs> he would be a perfect person. To yeah. They're doing some really good stuff out, out of Cornell as well. Well, we're excited to um, attend your lecture tomorrow night. Um, after seven o'clock, after the lighting of the windmill at Stony Brook Southampton uh, campus, right here down the hall from this or down the street from the studio, five to seven p.m. tomorrow, and after the lighting at seven, uh, Chris Paparo will give a great lecture. Thank you so much for your time, as always, Chris. 
Oh, thanks for having me. I always, I always love talking with you. And we'll be back. We got a little Christine McVie. Uh, I'm too far gone to turn around. Soggy Bottom Boys, Joan Baez, Joni Mitchell uh, on deck. I'm Gianna Volpe. And you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome. And you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM. a child would do Darling Don't let me down Chris mentioned that the windmill veins are back up, so it looks like a real windmill. You're not going to want to miss out at Stony Brook, Southampton. Uh, starting at 5 o'clock, the lighting of the windmill at 
7 o'clock and the Wild Long Island Lecture right after all of it free. Uh, you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM. Where I was born and raised The place where he was born and raised For six long years I've been in trouble No pleasure here on earth I found I'm a stranger, my face you never 
Joni Mitchell and Joni James leading you into the NPR news break at the top of the hour after Joan Baez, girl of constant sorrow. This is Don't Interrupt the Sorrow from Joni Mitchell's The Hissing of Summer Lawns, 1975, on WLIWFM NPR Radio.
Hopping back to 1953 for that one. Joni James, Little Things Mean a Lot. Yes, they certainly do. We'll be leading you out of the NPR News break and the local news update with Joni's Orange, single from 2020. And I'll play a, a pet track I love, Orange, from Clay from their Hughes EP of 2018. Then uh, the title track to Mount Joy's 2022 record, Orange Blood. On W L I W F M. 